0: Due to the sensitive nature of today's episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and death that may be disturbing for some listeners. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: On February 28, 1993, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms staged a surprise raid on a compound in Waco, Texas. It was the headquarters of a religious sect called the Branch Davidians, led by David Koresh.
0: More than 80 of Koresh's followers, including many women and children, lived on the property at the time of the siege. But after the initial effort led by the ATF failed, leaving four Bureau agents and as many as six Davidians dead, the FBI took over.
1: The remaining Davidians hunkered down for a standoff— Government tanks arrived, helicopters buzzed overhead, and soldiers surrounded the building. The stalemate dragged on for 51 days.
0: Then, on April 19, 1993, the FBI fired tear gas into the compound to finally drive out the Davidians.
1: During the gassing, several fires broke out in the compound as the building went up in flames. The 76 Branch Davidians inside including 25 children, were killed. In just hours, the debacle turned into one of the most devastating events in American history.
0: But to some, Waco was evidence that the government was willing to murder its own citizens and try to cover the truth in the aftermath.
1: Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast.
0: You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
1: This is our second episode on the fatal siege at Waco, Texas. In February 1993, a 51-day standoff between the U.S. government and David Koresh captured the attention of millions of U.S. citizens.
0: Last time, we covered the lead-up to Waco and how its aftermath created deep divisions among Americans. Some say the botched siege spawned a number of homegrown militias. Others insist the Davidians were a threat from the start, and the FBI had every right to quell an uprising.
1: This time, we'll explore a few theories surrounding the FBI's handling of the Waco crisis. Some still believe the Davidians were responsible for the deadly fire, but it's possible that they were victims of overzealous government tactics. And finally, we'll dive into the official investigation that exonerated the FBI, which some say was a massive cover-up.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. On the morning of Sunday, February 28, 1993, the ATF agents at Waco had two legal warrants. One was for permission to search the 77-acre Branch Davidian compound, and the other was to arrest David Koresh himself.
1: The warrants charged him with unlawful possession of guns and destructive devices like grenades. Normally, they would provide a copy of the documents, arrest Koresh, and begin the search.
0: But none of that happened before the agents could reach Koresh a shootout erupted.
1: This part of the story is a bit puzzling because the accounts conflict with each other. The surviving ATF agents claimed the Branch Davidians fired before they could provide the warrant, but the remaining Davidians said the agents opened fire without provocation. Instead of executing the warrant, they were there to execute Koresh.
0: This leads us to our first conspiracy theory. The ATF fired the first shot to make the religious group appear
1: violent and justify using deadly force. The Branch Davidians had lived at Mount Carmel for decades, and except for a few internal incidents, they appeared non-aggressive. It seemed that they kept to the ideology of Seventh-day Adventism, which highlights harmonious living.
0: Koresh's followers were supposed to pursue a spiritual path without worldly conveniences. Inside the building, Bible study groups met at least three times a day. The Davidian life seemed to be a simple, quiet one.
1: They kept to themselves as they practiced separation from society. To the sect, the social world housed temptation, sin, sexual desire, and greed. Waco locals mainly considered the group a harmless curiosity.
0: But there was one big exception to their peaceful ideology. The Davidians believed that the return of Jesus Christ would initiate a savage final war called Armageddon.
1: This gathering of armies would require the group to abandon their peaceful ways. They would have to engage in an epic, violent battle. And the only way they'd be prepared for such an event was to arm themselves with weapons. So when the ATF began their raid, The Davidians reportedly believed it was the start of the anticipated apocalypse.
0: This wasn't completely unfounded. The ATF didn't follow protocol when they descended on the compound. Instead of knocking on the door and civilly serving the warrants, they ambushed Mount Carmel with a sizable force.
1: But their raid was authorized, and since Koresh likely didn't want to be arrested or have his home searched, the ATF was prepared for an altercation. They knew the Davidians were armed and ready to fight, just as their prophecy suggested.
0: This was based on a recent report by a UPS driver who was delivering a shipment of grenade casings to Koresh. And similarly, the local sheriff was aware of explosions and automatic gunfire heard at the compound.
1: These activities seemed to go against the Davidians' preaching of a tranquil existence. It appeared the religious group actually did pose a threat, especially because the group had a secret criminal history.
0: In 1987, 27-year-old Koresh was excommunicated from the religious group's compound. He was angry at this exile, so he later snuck back onto the property. Once back inside, he engaged in a gunfight with
1: then-leader George Roden. According to the New York Times, Koresh was armed at the time with five .223 caliber assault rifles, two 22 caliber rifles and two 12-gauge shotguns with almost 400 rounds of ammunition. It was a substantial amount of firepower for somebody who claimed to have peaceful intentions.
0: After the gunfight, the police arrested Koresh and confiscated his arsenal. He was never convicted of the charges against him, so the weapons were returned. But to law enforcement, the incident permanently flagged Koresh and the Davidians as potentially dangerous.
1: The group still maintained that peace was a virtue, at least until Armageddon began. And for nearly a decade, Koresh preached to his followers about a violent face-off with an unholy force. And to him, allegedly, that force was the U.S. government.
0: When a local news cameraman heard of the impending ATF raid, he unintentionally tipped off the Davidians. Koresh ordered his devotees to fetch their weapons and take up their defensive positions.
1: They had a well-engineered plan in place. The group had stockpiled supplies and handmade ammunition vests sewn by the Davidian women. They secured the compound before the ATF even appeared on the horizon.
0: When the ATF arrived, the agents in charge recognized that they'd lost the element of surprise, but they didn't change their strategy. Both sides were armed, but the government continued the raid
1: anyway. As gunfire echoed outside, Koresh dialed 911. He identified himself as David Koresh of the Mount Carmel Center and said his group was under attack. This call seems to indicate the ATF fired first, Otherwise, why would Koresh alert the police of a fight he started?
0: But Koresh could have used the call as a tactic to appear as a victim. Blaming the ATF for a so-called attack could act as a decoy from the truth that his people instigated the gunfight.
1: Except that one of the ATF agents admitted that the government had fired first.
0: After the siege, most ATF agents testified in court that they came under heavy gunfire from the Davidians.
1: But one agent said he saw his colleague shoot one of the Davidians' dogs outside. He surmised that the sound of that shot could have triggered the Davidians' defensive fire. This meant that the ATF might have fired the first shot, even though it wasn't at any of the Davidians.
0: Eventually, the dissenting agent retracted his statement. When questioned again, he insisted that the Branch Davidians did indeed initiate the shootout. Perhaps his commanding officers required him to recant.
1: In any case, the surviving Branch Davidians have always maintained that they didn't shoot until authorities fired upon them first.
0: With so much chaos on that February morning and the conflicting testimonies, it still seems impossible to say who fired first. The ATF might have fired at the dog, but the Davidians also could have opened fire at first sight of government agents. They were armed and expecting an apocalyptic gun battle. On a scale of believability, with 10 being the highest, I have to give this theory a five out of 10.
1: I agree that the evidence presents a sort of deadlock. If the agent's claim is true, the Davidians would have had their cue to open fire. But the entire situation was a powder keg, so any shot from either side could have set it off, which is why I'm also giving the theory that the ATF fired first a five out of ten.
0: We'll likely never know who shot first when the standoff began, but there are still other discrepancies to settle, like knowing who ended the impasse by igniting a series
3: of deadly fires.
1: Coming up... The fatal fire that ended Koresh's tyranny.
3: Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear
1: Now, back to the story.
0: In the spring of 1993, FBI agents surrounded a religious compound in Waco, Texas. For 51 days, the FBI negotiated with leader David Koresh, but made little headway. The Branch Davidians refused to leave their property.
1: Frustrated with the lack of progress, the FBI shifted to use more aggressive tactics, like the use of CS tear gas, the introduction of gas was meant to force the religious group out of their fortress. But just like everything else about the Waco siege, plans went awry.
0: At sunrise on April 19, 1993, the FBI phoned the Davidians one last time to tell them they should vacate the compound. The agents said they were prepping to launch a tear gas assault, but the Davidians seemed to ignore the warning.
1: After a few minutes, the FBI sent two combat engineering vehicles, or CEVs, toward the compound. They were loaded with tear gas and aimed at a targeted area of the compound. But as the CEVs got close, the Davidians started shooting.
0: The FBI retaliated by gassing the entire compound. After a couple of hours, they ran out of tear gas and high winds dissipated the gas they'd already released. All the while, the Davidians rained bullets down on the FBI.
1: Not long after the gas attack, though, simultaneous fires broke out at three different locations within the compound. As the flames spread, the FBI called Koresh again and begged him to lead his followers to safety, but he refused.
0: Mount Carmel went up in a raging inferno, and only nine Davidians escaped.
1: By the time the fire was extinguished, investigators discovered that 76 others were dead, including women and children, but they also uncovered a new clue. Some of the Davidians had died from gunshot wounds, including David Koresh.
0: This led to new questions about how the siege ended so tragically. Many believe Koresh was desperate to prove that his doomsday prediction was valid and that he'd do anything to prove it. This leads us to conspiracy theory number two. The Davidians started the fire to make it look like Koresh's prophecy was coming true.
1: There's quite a bit of evidence to support this theory. First... The FBI monitored 444 of the group's conversations over 47 days. During the early days of the standoff, the agents sent the Davidians fresh milk, but the cartons they delivered were not ordinary milk containers. The cartons contained tiny recording devices.
0: These bugs, along with others smuggled into the compound, captured many of the conversations inside. Unfortunately, at the time, it was hard to decipher some of what was being said. But in the aftermath of the tragedy, the FBI played back the tapes to look for new evidence.
1: The recordings seemed to reveal the Davidians started the fire themselves. Furthermore, the audio suggested the sect was acting on orders from Koresh. Among the recorded conversations was one in which a follower of Koresh's said, quote, Do you think I could light this soon?
0: In another recording, someone said, quote, David said pour it, right? Someone else replied, David said we have to get the fuel on.
1: An hour later, a voice said, quote, So we only light it first when they come in with the tank, right as they're coming in? Someone is then heard saying, we should get more hay in here.
0: About six hours before the fire ignited, one voice said, quote, spread the fuel.
1: To the FBI, these recordings were proof that the Branch Davidians planted flammable materials and poured gasoline around the compound. The accelerants were in preparation for the fire that was ignited according to a specific practiced plan. And the
0: recordings weren't the only evidence that the Davidians were responsible for igniting the blaze.
1: A team of arson experts concluded that three separate fires started in different sections of the compound simultaneously the probability
0: that three fires would start inside the compound at exactly the same time seemed highly unlikely unless the group lit them all at
1: once there was other corroborating evidence too investigators found fuel on all of the survivors clothes and shoes as one davidian escaped the blaze his hands were on fire because his coat sleeves were drenched in lighter fluid. However, the Davidians who made it out of the burning compound insisted they didn't start the fire. In fact, one of them claimed the FBI was responsible for the devastating blaze.
0: This survivor said one of the FBI's tank vehicles knocked over a lantern, which sparked the fire. There was even video footage of the tank striking the building just 90 seconds before the flames flared up.
1: Most concerning of all was the fact that the tear gas delivered by the tanks was potentially flammable. This raised questions as to why the FBI's tactics had to involve tanks and tear gas at all, especially when it was known that 25 children were inside.
0: To add even more confusion to the origin of the fire, a documentary filmmaker discovered evidence that the FBI used pyrotechnic rounds.
1: These were rounds of tear gas that were capable of starting fires. It seemed like proof that the FBI lied about the blaze. Even if the Davidians spread the gasoline and accelerants, it was possible they hadn't actually ignited the fire.
0: In the immediate aftermath of the 1993 siege, the FBI adamantly denied using pyrotechnic rounds. FBI Director William Sessions and Attorney General Janet Reno even testified in front of Congress to that fact.
1: However, in 1999, the government reversed its position. The FBI confessed to firing off pyrotechnic rounds at Waco, but they claimed they only fired a few test shots in a construction pit on the day of the fire. Still,
0: The government's admission that it lied about the pyro rounds in the first place caused many Americans to lose their faith in the FBI's story. It seemed possible that the FBI had started the fire with their ordinance.
1: But aside from the FBI's admission that pyrotechnic rounds were present at Waco, the recordings are still very strong evidence. The theory that the Davidians started the fire still makes sense especially since the fire broke out in three places at once. I give this theory an 8 out of 10.
0: I agree. The progression of Koresh's followers discussing the gasoline, followed by the lighted quote on the tapes, is solid proof. I'll give this theory a 7 out of 10.
1: Still, the fact that the government admitted to covering up key evidence is disturbing. The public outcry in America led Attorney General Janet Reno to open an investigation headed by former Missouri Senator John Danforth.
0: But some Americans claim Danforth led an even bigger government cover-up, and they had the proof to expose it.
1: Coming up, we'll explore if the Danforth Report doubled down on the lies. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
2: Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of Big Give Week's 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it.
1: Now, back to the story.
0: On April 19, 1993, after a seven week standoff between David Koresh and the FBI, a mammoth fire engulfed the Branch Davidian compound in Waco, Texas. Seventy six people died.
1: Over six years later, on August 25, 1999, the FBI revealed it had lied about firing pyrotechnic rounds on the morning of the fire. Though the agency said the shots did not start the inferno, Attorney General Janet Reno knew there was damage control to be done to restore public confidence.
0: Reno assigned former Republican Senator John Danforth to lead the special counsel and review the government's assault on the compound in Waco, Texas in 1993. And this brings us to conspiracy theory number three. The Danforth report was a cover-up of the FBI's deadly strategic errors at Waco.
1: Besides being a former senator, John Danforth was also an ordained Episcopal minister, a likely reason as to why Reno selected him. He had a reputation for moral integrity. Danforth assembled a team of over 50 investigators and embarked on a 10-month inquiry.
0: On July 21st, 2000, Danforth's team completed their initial review and absolved the FBI and Department of Justice of any guilt. Instead, the Danforth report laid the blame for the Waco tragedy solely on David Koresh and the Branch Davidians.
1: According to his report, some 300 weapons, including two caliber rifles, were found among the compound's ashes. To Danforth and his team... It was clear the Davidians had wanted to fight.
0: Autopsies showed that five of the children who died at the compound were shot. Another child had been stabbed to death.
1: Since the FBI wasn't able to enter the compound until after the fire was out, these killings couldn't have been at the hands of the FBI the Davidians must have executed the children themselves.
0: Though Danforth cleared the FBI of firing the first shot and starting the fire, he did acknowledge some of the agency's mistakes.
1: For instance, Danforth confirmed that Congress was never informed of the use of pyrotechnic tear gas.
0: This admission seems strange. If the senator's investigation was meant to cover up government lies, Danforth essentially confirmed that the FBI had lied by omission.
1: But some newspapers, like the Waco Tribune-Herald, questioned the depth of Danforth's inquiry. In a critical analysis, the paper reportedly said, "...the Danforth probe was way too limited to put to rest so many concerns and suspicions."
0: Even after the investigation, many Americans felt the question of what happened at Mount Carmel was still unresolved. To them, Danforth's inquiry hadn't revealed anything that wasn't already in the government's official story.
1: But one man insisted the senator's report was accurate, and he'd been at the center of the tragedy.
0: That man was Byron Sage, the FBI's chief negotiator during the siege. He spent hours talking to Koresh on the phone, trying to persuade him to surrender.
1: By day 51, Sage knew without a doubt that Koresh had no interest in coming out. Within his compound, Koresh was a revered prophet and a man his people adored. Outside the compound, he was a criminal, a religious extremist, accused abuser, and illegal gun dealer.
0: Sage said he read Danforth's summary of the tragedy and believed it to be very thorough. From his position as a key player in the tragedy, Sage felt the investigators' conclusions were fair.
1: The report didn't let the FBI off the hook, but rather it held several officials accountable for their negligence, inaction, and lack of urgency. Sage agreed that Danforth's conclusions were based on the facts, which laid the majority of the blame— on the fanatical Koresh.
0: The negotiator was even willing to speak to his own interrogation by Danforth. While their session bordered on aggressive, it was still a highly professional approach, the way it should have been. According to him, Danforth's primary job was to reveal the truth behind the darkest questions Americans still had.
1: If the FBI had intentionally shot the Davidians, set the fire, or hindered their escape in any way, then the American public would have every right to be furious with the authorities.
0: But then Danforth would also have had little reason to be aggressive in his investigation. If it was a cover-up, he would likely have avoided examining information that would have further implicated the FBI.
1: On July 26, 2000, Senator Chuck Schumer defended the investigation to members of the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on Senator Danforth's report on the Waco siege. Echoing statements he'd made in 1995, he said it was unfair to twist the facts and make the FBI the villain and Koresh the victim.
0: Schumer reminded the committee that Koresh was a dangerous man who abused children Glorified violence, and guided his followers to a horrible death. He wasn't a peaceful clergyman in a rural chapel. He was an armed zealot.
1: Senator Schumer went on to discuss Koresh's obsession with guns. He cited Koresh's military arsenal that included nearly 50 illegal machine guns and multiple explosives.
0: Schumer reminded the senators that the Davidians didn't greet authorities with handholding and prayer. They met the agents with more firepower than the ATF had even brought with them. It was an ambush.
1: And as Senator Schumer put it, quote, Nothing excuses that ambush. Nothing in American law excuses it. Nothing in the Bible excuses it.
0: The Danforth report didn't deny that the FBI made mistakes in Waco. The ATF knew the Davidians were armed and prepped for their raid. Still, they surrounded the compound without altering their tactics, and violence ensued.
1: Additionally, Danforth's report addressed the key failing on the part of the FBI. They didn't report firing pyrotechnic rounds on that tragic day.
0: Since Danforth explicitly disclosed this blunder, it's difficult to maintain that his report was a cover-up for government errors, so... I give this theory a 1 out of 10.
1: I mostly agree. The Branch Davidians had hundreds of weapons in their possession, and there was chilling evidence in the autopsies that members of the group were ready to take their own lives and those of their children. Still, there was likely some room for the FBI to have acted earlier, so I'll give this theory a 2 out of 10.
0: In the end, the government admitted mistakes were made, But the ATF, FBI, and Department of Justice never intended to incite a mass killing.
1: In fact, government efforts seemed to have the opposite goal. Sage and the other negotiators worked tirelessly for 51 days to convince Koresh and his followers to surrender peacefully. Once they finally made a forceful move to arrest Koresh, he took drastic and deadly action.
0: The Waco siege wasn't a horrifying tale of careless government murder, but it does serve as a reminder that information can be twisted to serve a specific narrative. We must learn the truth as it comes from facts, not opinions, to prevent such tragedies from occurring again.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Monday with an all-new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
0: Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story.
1: And the official story isn't always the truth.
0: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by John Levinson, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Anya Bailey and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.